ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. It all began with a voice message. Hi, Adele. John Williams calling. Look, I've been talking to a whistleblower to come off bank. There's a big story here, a big issue. Can you give me a call when you're, you're available, please? Thank you. Bye. A whistleblower from the Commonwealth Bank with a big story? Turns out that tip-off was the catalyst for one of the worst financial scandals this country has ever seen. You might know the Commonwealth Bank scandal, which exposed forgery, fraud and a cover-up by management inside Australia's biggest and most trusted company. But what you don't know is the lengths the bank went to to kill the story. Smear campaigns, intimidation, threats, impersonation and surveillance. And the targets were three whistleblowers, along with bank victims, industry advocates and me. I'm Adele Ferguson, and this is The Whistleblowers, a background briefing series. In this episode, what happens when a powerful company plays dirty? The Commonwealth Bank scandal had its roots in the 80s when the financial markets were deregulated, opening up the economy to market forces. CBA later took the plunge and expanded into wealth management transforming its trusted bank tellers and branch managers into high-performing salespeople to flog their new suite of products. The focus shifted to putting profit before people. If the speculation is correct, Australia's biggest ever takeover is being hatched. Commonwealth will be Australia's biggest bank, fund manager and life insurer with 10 million customers. More choice to more customers on a more cost-effective basis. That is pro-competitive. Soon, all the other banks followed, spending billions of dollars on wealth management, which meant a ready supply of financial products, an army of financial planners and millions of unsuspecting customers. They were employed as salesmen and the training that they received, the qualifications they had, were a joke. And it's been said before that In fact, it was much more difficult to qualify as a hairdresser than as a financial planner. I mean, what a ludicrous situation that is. Upsell, cross-sell, bundle deals. Here to make a deposit or take out a loan? Have you considered an investment fund? Why not bundle it with life insurance? Australia's biggest banks had become sales yards. Customers were seen as walking dollar signs. The riskier the product flogged, the fatter the commission paid to staff and the bigger the profit for the bank. Better than generally expected full-year net profit of $2.66 billion. But the model had a massive structural flaw. It was inherently conflicted and customers were the patsies. Financial advisors earned hefty commissions by putting their customers' money in high-risk bank products. And when the global economy tanked, those risky bank products unravelled and many of those trusting customers' savings were wiped out. A wave of sometimes panicked selling saw the Dow Jones Industrial Average plummet more than 500 points. That's exactly what happened in September 2008 when the global financial crisis hit. It was the biggest one-day fall since just after the September 11 terrorist attacks. The president was appealing for calm. The banks denied responsibility blaming their customers' wealth destruction entirely on the GFC instead of their conflicted business model. 
they'd built a multi-billion dollar money-making machine and they were not about to give it up. Anyone who tried to challenge it, they'd crush into silence. I'm at my desk in the busy newsroom of The Age newspaper in Melbourne when my phone starts to ring. It's a senior representative from the Commonwealth Bank of Australia. I think I know why he's calling. Just that morning, I'd published a devastating expose in The Age and the Sydney Morning Herald newspapers about a scandal inside the bank's financial planning division. It involved forgery, fraud and a cover-up. And the victims were their customers. It was a big double-page spread and I think there are other stories in the paper. It was a massive story. This is Jeff Morris, the whistleblower behind the story. A burly man with red cheeks, Jeff oozes a defiance befitting a wardrobe of bow ties, maroon braces and dark suits. He'd been around the financial traps for years and had an inkling of how hard the bank would fight. I guess for many years, of course, I've been subjected to a lot of harassment and retaliation by the bank and people there. They were going around telling people that I was mad, uh, that I was insane. And um, so I felt, well, there it is in print, and I, I stand by everything that's in those stories that, that I had said. Uh, and so let's see. Let's see who's mad and who's deluded. Um, because I knew that those stories were so powerful, that wasn't going to be the end of it. Hello, Adele Ferguson. When I pick up, I receive an angry reception from the senior bank executive. He's yelling at me. Across the newsroom, I catch the eye of my colleague, Chris Vettelago. He's a razor-sharp Canadian journalist who worked with me on the initial stories. We were sitting at the desks. The call immediately looked quite tense. So we moved into what was effectively the, the executive boardroom. We closed the door behind us. And this time, I put the phone on speaker. This person was being very pushy, quite aggressive. He had his spiel that they basically, there were things that we didn't know that we needed to know. What we needed to know concerned Jeff Morris. The CBA operative is trying to discredit the story by smearing the whistleblower. His message is clear. Don't trust Jeff Morris. There are things about him you don't know. You know, effectively a, a quote-unquote dirt file. Um, and he suggested that it was extraordinarily deep and lengthy and there was all sorts of kind of malfeasance that he could point to. The rant continues. Jeff Morris is unstable. You're making a huge mistake. Chris interrupts the tirade, leans over the phone and says, where's your proof? And when we ask to see it, um, basically, all right, well, you say we can't trust this person. Show us what you've got. Send it to us. He just, he, he went to water. It was a bunch of excuses about why he couldn't do it, as though um, we were supposed to take his word for it, that we were making a huge mistake and that this person was unreliable. We never did get that dirt file on Jeff Morris. But this was only the beginning of the Commonwealth Bank's Dirty Tricks campaign. As more stories came out, readers in their droves contacted me with their own stories of wrongdoing at the Commonwealth Bank. 
If you'd attached a bell to it, it would have been like ding, 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 ding. There was email after email coming into your account. And they weren't just from customers. I heard from bank staff too. As I watched the emails roll in, it dawned on me. This wasn't a few bad apples. The whole barrel was rotten. Not just inside the Commonwealth Bank, but across the entire banking system. When a story develops this type of momentum, we say it's got legs. But as quickly as it grew them, the Commonwealth Bank tried to cut them off. Unable to stop the whistleblower, the bank's next point of attack was me. Adele, you are a pesky reporter. There's no doubt you are going to keep going till you get to the bottom of it. This is Sean Almer, the mild-mannered executive with a youthful face, who in 2013 was my boss's boss of Fairfax newspapers. A lot of dirty play going on in that whole story. Really dirty play. Sean Almer began receiving calls from the Commonwealth Bank. I'm not just talking senior management, I'm talking their media relations people, and it used to really frustrate me because they'd just be complaining about you. There was one call that stopped him in his tracks. It was a senior executive. Sean remembers he was in the car on his way to Canberra. I remember being at Lake George having this conversation and he was saying, we have emails that demonstrate that Adele has been taken down the wrong path. We're not even sure that Adele is truly honest in what she is doing and saying. Then, Sean tells me something particularly disturbing. What really amazed me is that they had your private correspondence and that I I still don't know how they had it. It was almost like someone leaking information to the Commonwealth Bank from our side of the fence. I didn't know it at the time, but that senior executive had access to my emails, my private work emails, and he was quoting from them. It was all about discrediting you. They were tightly trying to undermine your reputation, your source's reputation. So while whistleblowers were leaking to me, someone was leaking to the bank about me. These were discussions between Adele and others. Um, They weren't emails to the Commonwealth Bank, they were emails to sources. It's the first I've heard about this. That's incredible. I actually didn't realise that. Deny, discredit, deceive. In these secret off-the-record phone calls, they tell Sean my stories are wrong, that I may be dishonest, and that the whistleblower, Jeff Morris, is somehow being paid to smear the company. The accusations reach the ears of the CEO of Fairfax Newspapers, my employer. I remember having conversations with the chief executive of Fairfax at the time, Greg Highwood, he was clearly worried because he'd been informed that uh, particularly one of the whistleblowers that you uh, were, had been in contact with, uh, there'd been suggestions that he had, um, had been receiving payment for things, that he had mental health challenges. Uh, and Greg put it pretty sternly, as Greg Highwood could, hey, you've got to make sure that Adele's got this right. And he was worried. I was certainly worried. Threats to pull millions of dollars in advertising were never far away. I do remember having a conversation with a very senior CBA person, and the first thing the person said to me was, now, Sean, this isn't about our commercial relationship with Fairfax. And 
I kind of thought at the time, that's funny. I don't have anything to do with a commercial relationship with Fairfax. And that's how power works. Picking up the phone to senior company media executives and making veiled threats to their precious revenue streams. Behind the scenes, the bank's spin doctors are also backgrounding rival journalists. Nothing to see here. A few bad apples. And by the way, don't trust that whistleblower, who isn't actually a whistleblower anyway. At the same time, the bank is trying to shut down industry insiders. Matthew Rowe was one of those insiders. He was the chair of the Financial Planning Association, an imposing figure. He took a bold stance against the Commonwealth Bank in 2014 and demanded it set up a compensation scheme for customers along with other measures to help clean up the sector. We picked a fight with what was then the the largest company in Australia. The bank went on the attack and tried to discredit the association. There was a lot of uh, backgrounding of politicians and and some of the media. Uh, It was said that the Financial Planning Association were not much more than a trade union and this was all just a push to have compulsory membership. Rowe is summoned to a meeting by the bank, together with his offsider, Financial Planning Association Chief Executive Mark Rantel. Don't pick a fight with us, is the overall message. I distinctly remember this because it had a profound impact on me at the time, that um, a very senior executive turned to us and made a statement um, that we have a limitless balance sheet with which to protect our reputation. I remember the exact words. And at, at that point, um, time stood still because um, I, I was sitting there just thinking, wow, I think you know we've just been threatened by the largest company in the country. In the days that follow, the Commonwealth Bank makes good on that threat, first withdrawing its sponsorship from an upcoming Financial Planning Association event. It then stops its financial advisors from salary-sacrificing their membership fees, which cuts deep. But the association refuses to cave in. Your integrity is not taken from you by anyone else. You surrender it. And uh, it can start small little things, but you you surrender your integrity through decisions you make and the actions you take or you don't take. And, um, you know, at, at that time, we just, we just couldn't continue to accept what we knew was going on. In June 2014, a Senate inquiry releases a report into the Commonwealth Bank recommending a Royal Commission and a compensation scheme. And there are demands from Canberra that the bank compensate customers. Possibly up into the tens of thousands of persons have suffered real harm, haven't received adequate compensation and deserve to have their files reconstructed and re-examined in a transparent, open, accountable manner. The CEO of the bank is quick to respond. Hello, I'm Ian Nariv, CEO of the Commonwealth Bank. In a carefully scripted video message, he's offering an apology. As CEO of the Commonwealth Bank, I am truly sorry and I unreservedly apologise to all customers affected. And a compensation scheme. I sincerely hope the program reminds everyone that trust is something we do take very seriously. The bank is crossing its fingers. This will be enough to shut down the scandal. But more than a year later, it'll have to go back to its PR tactics of deny, discredit and deceive. Because a new whistleblower is about to go public. 
In a hotel overlooking the Melbourne cricket grounds, a group of senators from across the political spectrum are shuffling through their notes. It's another Senate inquiry, as the financial planning scandal has spread to other banks. I declare open this hearing of the Senate Economics References Committee's inquiry into the scrutiny of financial advice. Seated in front of the senators is an unexpected witness. A balding man with black wireframe glasses, a crisp white business shirt and silver cufflinks. He looks every bit the stereotypical accountant, his hands near his mouth as if he's gnawing on his fingernails. He looks anxious and when he speaks, even his voice sounds uneven. But he's not nervous. Uh, I now welcome Mr Russell Phillips. His name is Russell Phillips, and he's been waiting for this day. I commenced employment with the Commonwealth Bank as an assistant manager on the 27th of April 2015. Russell Phillips is the second Commonwealth Bank whistleblower, and he's at this Senate hearing to blow the whistle on the Commonwealth Bank's latest compensation scheme set up to help victims of the financial planning scandal. According to Phillips, the scheme is a sham. It's designed to minimise compensation paid out to customers. Only 19 people had been paid in its first year of operation. And the bank has linked the pay of assessors like Russell to bonuses. He's quizzed on the scheme by the chair of the committee, Labor Senator Sam Dastiari. The incentive structure is built in a way that you're effectively going to be rewarded by getting through things quicker. And the quickest way of getting through things is to reject. It's absolutely correct. I mean, Mr Phil, that's a, um, that's a fairly um, extraordinary kind of uh, incentive structure. I mean, we were told, and this Senate committee had been told repeatedly, was justice for victims. Mr Phillips, the evidence you're giving us today is that this wasn't a program built about justice for victims. Uh, this was a program built to minimise the cost of the bank of um, previous bad advice. That's extraordinary. But as Russell sits there, he doesn't know that he's been set up. The Commonwealth Bank has worked swiftly to discredit and undermine his testimony even before he's uttered a word. Russell's job at the bank was to review compensation claims and the final straw for him was a case of a single mother facing bankruptcy after being advised to put her money into high-risk products. I mean, how could an organisation talk somebody out of taking, um, uh, taking away their $600,000 safety blanket in a term deposit and six years later, because they couldn't recover credit card debt, they've gone down the bankruptcy route? Russell recommends the woman be given compensation, but he's overruled. I got back from my manager's desk and I just slammed the folder on the on my desk and I just was quite um, loud. I think the whole floor would have heard me. I said, this, this game is a joke. It dawns on him the entire compensation scheme is a sham. After his outburst, He's summoned into another meeting and he's fired. Russell is outraged and decides to speak out publicly. I introduce him to Senator John Wacker-Williams, a fearless, outspoken shearer who'd gone into politics to help clean up white-collar crime and fight for justice. John feels more comfortable on the land than in a suit and from his seat at the Senate inquiry into financial services, he isn't afraid of anyone including the banks. 
the generation I grew up with, I'm a similar generation to them, perhaps a bit younger, the person you trusted most of all was your bank manager. That was respect. The bank manager held huge respect. When John hears Russell's story, he asks him to speak at the inquiry. But just hours before Russell's scheduled appearance, John Williams receives an unexpected call from the Commonwealth Bank. It's about Russell Phillips. I've had a call about this witness is not genuine, that his mental health problems and that he's out to cause trouble. John gets off the phone and calls me. He's worried about what he's been told. It was senior bank officers trying to neutralise someone who may cause damage to their brand. The Commonwealth Bank is secretly trying to discredit Russell hours before he appears in the Senate. It's using information in his medical records to portray him as unstable. And to some extent it works. When Russell takes the stand in the Melbourne conference room, there's an unusual line of questioning from Senator Williams, who wants to clear the air. Did you find his time there a lot of mental pressure on you? Yes. Did you seek any help or did you have to seek any, uh, seek any psychological help to assist you with those pressures? Yes, I met with my doctor and a psychologist to talk about anxiety. How often did you do that? Uh, I believe that was once or twice a week over a period of four weeks. A couple of times a week over a period of four weeks you had to seek medical assistance with, with yes. problems you felt you were suffering? Yes. Russell never knew about that behind-the-scenes phone call the senator had received from the Commonwealth Bank. I did, and John Williams allowed me to tell him just before this interview. Does it disappoint you that they would do that? I don't think disappointed is the right word. Um, it's a stronger emotion than that. What is it? It's disgusting. Well, I mean, I would never, ever, ever disclose their medical information to anyone else. It's just, you just don't go there. I don't understand how an employer would do that. It's just foreign to me. It's now March 2016, almost six months after Russell's testimony. The Commonwealth Bank financial planning scandal, which had begun with Jeff Morris three years earlier, has now become a full-blown crisis. And another scandal is about to erupt. It's just as big. This time, it's the Commonwealth Bank's Life Insurance Division. Hello and welcome to Four Corners. I'm Sarah Ferguson. Imagine you've paid life insurance premiums for years on the promise that should you be diagnosed with a serious or terminal illness, you and your family will be taken care of. Then, at your weakest moment, your claim is denied. Tonight, the former On ABC's Four Corners, and also splashed on the front pages of The Age and the Sydney Morning Herald, the revelations are damning. This time, the victims are sick and dying customers of the bank's life insurance business, Cominsure. Among them is James Kessel, a rough-around-the-edges 46-year-old diesel mechanic who lived in the tiny rural town of Weewar in New South Wales. James tells us about the massive heart attack he suffered in September 2014. The pain was like a pitchfork in the chest being twisted. It was like something I never felt before and I don't want to feel it again because it hurts a lot. After about uh, 25 minutes of, uh, you know, denying... Myself, I'm thinking, like, no, I'm not having a heart attack, I'm fine. But then I realised there's something wrong. 
He wasn't worried about the bills because he was insured. But when James lodged a claim with Commonshore, it was rejected. So if I would have died, which, well, well, completely, and buried, um, it makes me wonder, would, would they have found a, a way to get out of that as well, you know? Like, nah, he's not dead enough. Hours before Kessel's story goes to air, Senator John Williams receives another call from the Commonwealth Bank. I was in Parliament House and a senior executive from the Commonwealth Bank rang me and said, look, this James Kessel's a fake. He's false. The bank official tells John that Kessel's brother has also faked his heart attack to defraud the bank. He says the Kessels are a family of insurance fraudsters. You've been had, whacker. This bloke's false. He's a fraud, and so is his brother. They haven't had heart attacks at all. They're simply lining up to con the insurance company. And I was just stunned by that call. John gets onto me straight after, worried. He'd been interviewed for the story, had met James Kessel, and he hopes that I've done my homework. I was concerned, I said, Adele, I've just had a call saying this could be all, all fraud, all put on, all, all bluff. I told him, just watch the story because what the Commonwealth Bank didn't know was that we'd tracked down the doctor who'd brought James Kessel back from the dead. And Kessel's brother, who also faked a heart attack? Turns out he died from that heart attack. Some fake heart attack. The next day, John Williams calls back the Commonwealth Bank executive who'd spread the lies. When I called him next day, I said, so much for the fake heart attack, he did backpedal and and said it was an anonymous tip. The allegations against Commonshore were sparked by a third whistleblower, the highly credentialed and deeply private Dr Ben Coe. Even today, the Singapore-born doctor is uncomfortable with the attention of being a whistleblower, assiduously avoiding photos. He even uses a pixelated shot of the back of his head for social media. I always feel uneasy when they say... Whistleblowers are brave, you are brave and courageous. Dr Coe was the Commonwealth Bank's chief medical officer, providing expert medical opinion on insurance claims. You might think assessing an insurance claim is black and white, but Dr Coe learned there's a lot of wriggle room. The bank's claims assessors were trying to cherry-pick the medical evidence to deny claims. Even in a few instances, blatantly telling us to... If we can't have an opinion that they like, can we not have an opinion at all? Some denials relied on policies with deliberately outdated medical definitions. It was virtually impossible to meet the threshold for a claim. The Commonwealth Bank was getting money for nothing. Dr Coe initially blew the whistle internally, using the bank's freshly minted whistleblowing policy. They implemented the whistleblower policy with great fanfare saying, we don't tolerate bad behaviour in this bank anymore. See something, say something. Instead of listening to him, they seek to undermine him. The bank trawls through his emails. They were going through all my emails for every single correspondence that I've sent, either to find dirt on me or to see if I've contacted any external individuals or organisations because I think in their mind they're paranoid about the bad publicity. They find Dr Coe has breached IT policy. He'd been emailing files to his home computer 
after noticing files have been disappearing from the bank. They use this IT violation as a reason to terminate him. Dr Ko agrees to go quietly, but has to sit through one last meeting. What they said was, before you go, here's a non-disclosure agreement. Uh, if you sign, we'll, we'll, we'll give you a sum of money before you go, and we'll say that you resign for personal reason and you weren't fired. But if you sign this, you can't speak to anyone about anything that's happened at the bank, anything that you've reported as a whistleblower, nothing. I said, no, thank you. You didn't want to take their money? No, I said, that's blood money to me. I mean, I didn't feel right taking it because firstly, that to me, that was a bribe. And if someone's going to ask me a question, I want to be able to tell the truth. With no non-disclosure agreement to muzzle him, Dr Ko decides to go public and calls me. No one wakes up one day and decides that, oh great, I'm going to be a whistleblower today, let's go implode my life now. That doesn't happen. I mean, things happen slowly over a period of time. But the bank's deny, discredit and deceive campaign revs up again. He finds out a whisper campaign has begun to undermine his credibility. I heard from Senator Williams that he was being background by other individuals about me and don't believe anything that Dr. Ko tells you. And the bank's underhanded tactics were about to take another chilling turn. It's a few days after Dr. Ko's March 2016 interview has aired on Four Corners when my phone rings. It's not the bank. It's a public relations manager from a class action law firm. She asks me if I've been calling one of the firm's clients, who was also a claimant from Cominshaw. She tells me the client's name. I'd never heard of her. What she tells me next stuns me. Adele from Four Corners had called the law firm's client, reciting her medical history chapter and verse including that she'd suffered from depression and had been a victim of domestic violence. The PR person is clear. Adele has called her client and suggested she speak to a lawyer and Adele would arrange all her airfares, accommodation and expenses. Fake Adele was ringing Cominshaw customers, apparently moonlighting as a spruker for a law firm in Melbourne. The lawyer I'm supposedly spruking for is Michael Bates. I decide to give him a call. What he tells me adds to the intrigue. It was such an unusual concept. And I said, what what do you know? And and, um, this manager said, well, yeah, she's been phoning one of the senior claims assessors here, um, demanding or threatening, it was one of those words, um, uh, documents in relation to... a, a, you know, a claim or claims. <clears throat> and it was, yeah, look, it just was bizarre. Whoever is behind fake Adele is clearly trying to discredit me, suggesting I'm a client thief on the take and that I have such poor ethics that I'm prepared to ring and terrorise a domestic violence victim, not to mention illegally accessing private health records. It's the stuff of movies. Uh, you know, something 
like a John Grisham novel or you know movie that that that's where you see this stuff. We never quite got to the bottom of who was impersonating me, but I had my suspicions. Whoever it was had ready access to Commonshaw patient records. I wrote to the Commonwealth Bank, explaining how someone was not only masquerading as me, but accessing sensitive client health records. There was no meaningful response. Around the same time, a parked van with dark windows was lurking outside my house for days. Just a coincidence? We sent the Commonwealth Bank questions about all the incidents you've just heard. It told us they occurred several years ago, before the Royal Commission, and that the bank is a significantly different business now. In particular, it said the bank's culture, policies and procedures have all changed, and staff are now encouraged and supported to speak up. Years after the scandal, Jeff Morris, the bowtie-wearing whistleblower who started it all, was ready to start again. He'd found a partner for a new business venture. The deal was funded, it was in place. So he told his wife about it. Then I told her I was going to do this, and she was very relieved. But the Commonwealth Bank was at it again. It started a fresh smear campaign against Jeff, and the deal mysteriously fell apart. Jeff believes it was their last and dirtiest trick of all, and he remembers having to break the news to his wife. I had to go home and tell her it had fallen over. And why is that? Because the bank has been in there and has poisoned the well, told a pack of lies about me. And she was stunned. And she said, well, I never really understood why you had to do this before. I never really understood the magnitude of the evil that you felt you had to confront. But I do now. So keep going and get a Royal Commission with my blessing. Jeff's wife later died of cancer, leaving him a single dad of two teenagers. On November 30, 2017, after a series of other scandals, Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull announces a royal commission. Over the next 12 months, some of the most powerful people in banking play their role in the biggest show in town, and Jeff Morris has a front row seat. One by one, they apologise. We deeply regret the failings that we had over that period of time. Again... I've apologised a lot. Uh, throughout this process, and I, I highly regret what had happened. And again... Uh, to express regret um, at how this transaction's unfolded, and, and I sincerely mean that, so and I wish you well. Billions in compensation are paid. The banks sell their scandal-ridden businesses. Boards and senior management teams are overhauled, and the regulator promises to do a better job. Jeff Morris says the impact was beyond his expectations. Two reasons, you and Wacker Williams. So I was lucky to find you a journalist to partner with because 
I don't know, I'd like to add up the number of stories that you wrote over the years, but it was a phenomenal number of stories and scandal after scandal and Wacker Williams. Wacker Williams put his shoulder to the wheel in the Senate and got that Senate inquiry moving. Pretty much the moment that happened, it was game over. Russell Phillips, the second whistleblower, says speaking the truth was a reward on its own. When I'm in palliative care, when I'm in my dying days, I don't want to be twisting and turning, thinking, I wish I had done something. For Dr Ben Coe, staying silent was just out of the question. If I was put in the same situation, I don't think I would have done anything differently. For a whistleblower to speak up or tell someone their story, they're placing a lot on trust in that person. Once the story is out, your world will never be the same again. And I think that's still something that I'm still grappling with, so check back in a few years' time. Background Briefing's sound producers are Lila Schunner and Ingrid Wagner. Sound engineering by Russell Stapleton. Fact-checking by Ben Sveen and Ty King. Additional research by Lonnie Cooper. Our supervising producer is Mario Christodoulou. The executive producer is Fanu Falali. And I'm Adele Ferguson. You can subscribe to Background Briefing on the ABC Listen app. Thanks for listening.